0: All hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, Lord Bring forth the royal diadem and crown of all Welcome to the Tag your It podcast, I'm Ray Ray
1: And I am David Van Bebber
0: And uh, the thing is, is you don't know this, but Dave is on the line. He's not in the studio with me. Um, we are not live on Facebook, so you uh, podcast people have some exclusive Tag you're It content just available on the podcast. I hope That's you guys right. feel exclusive. special.
1: You should feel really, really good yeah. if you're listening on the podcast. Nobody in Facebook land gets it. Oh, wait oh. until we share it.
0: But yeah, at least they get, get the to link. See the video. Yeah, they'll get the link though, and they'll have to uh, get on Podbean or Spotify, Google Music, if that's still something. Whatever, <laughs> whatever it is that they get their favorite podcast anyway, they have to get on that to get this, um, you know, get this information anyway. But uh, you know, this is something that uh, we wanted to talk about earlier th- earlier this week, and uh, you know, we tried to. Um, the big thing is is Dave was in his car, and uh, there's a uh, you know some tolls that he had to pay that kind of got <laughs> in the way. Um, I think he had to get gas once and, uh, we were just like, you know, we'll just, we'll figure out a time where we can get all this stuff done and it's okay. You know, we are definitely stuck in our, uh, our post mill attitude of, you know what, we don't have to be anxious. We just seek the seek ye first, the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to us. And we're not going to worry about it too much, and we don't have to fear anything because God will take whatever we give, whenever we give it, and uh, glorify himself with it how he sees fit. So we didn't have to worry, right, Dave? No, we didn't. That was good.
1: And of course, it was fun to kind of rehearse this podcast. So we should be super fluent. We should have our thoughts right on the tip of our tongue and in the forefront (laughs) of our mind so that they are well communicated there's not a bunch of pauses and let me think on that everything should be exceptionally fluent and well put together since we've had so many opportunities to speak and to do so uh at least in a way that was working through these ideas
0: yeah. so yeah so the
1: idea was to get a report out to people quickly about what happened not last week Now, the week before the Southern Baptist Annual Meeting, but it's still important that we get it out. Yeah. Because I think it's great to be able to have gone and not a lot of people got to go. And everyone's heard some feedback from someone, I would assume, if they're connected with the SBC. So they've heard a lot of things, but let me give you my perspective on it. Yeah,
0: yeah. So yeah, so this uh, little podcast is just a you know we, we had Doug Shivers on kind of about his uh, concerns with the SBC um, prior to this, and uh, you know so now Davis went to the SBC annual meeting. He got to meet some really cool folks, hang out with some pretty cool folks, uh, deal with some resolutions, um, did a lot of stuff there, and uh, you know I I got to be there in spirit, and it's kind of cool how that all worked out, and just the videos that I watched. Watched and some updates here and there, uh, especially with Dusty Devers and and uh, you know Jeff Durbin's in the mix there, and that was awesome. Um, so you know this is the post AM two thousand twenty one Taguarette podcast episode. So first, well, yeah. I can
1: promise you next year I'm going to do everything I can to be in, in Anaheim. So mm. this shouldn't be the only time that we have a follow up at what happens at the Southern Baptist Annual Meeting. Hopefully, yeah. we'll be a little bit more prepared next year so we can do a little bit better interaction <laughs> while we're at the annual meeting, Adam and I, and hopefully everything will be well set up so that there's no me holding a little microphone and talking. We'll have we'll a figure little bit out. more... Uh, yeah, we'll have some yeah. things a little bit more figured out, but we'll be ready. We'll be more ready next time because yeah. we now know what we can do to improve.
0: Yes, that's <laughs> awesome. So yeah, then and, and we can always do that. But anyway, um, just to you know, to recap, Dave, why were you there? Yeah,
1: so I was so fortunate to get to go to the Southern Baptist Annual Meeting because our good friends out at Midwest Christian Outreach actually paid for me to go, which means they covered my gas, my hotel and my food while I was there at the annual meeting, and that was really cool. And then one of the key pieces, I got to go hang out a lot with Don Vino, share a room with him, and just knowing that there was a seasoned apologist who has done a lot of things throughout the years in apologetics and has had a really good relationship with Southern Baptist, but isn't actually a Southern Baptist, knowing that he saw that it is important for me to go as an apologist. He wanted me there. And then one of the primary reasons I was there was because we were working on a, what was going to be a resolution, but then we went ahead and turned into a motion And Mm -hmm. that motion was something that was put forward by James Walker, and it had to do with the Enneagram. Okay, and
0: and just for everybody that's uh, listening that uh, hasn't gotten our back catalog yet anyway don vino we had him on the show he wrote a book on richard Rohr and the enneagram and all that kind of stuff so he's done a lot of research if you go back and listen to that show he's also been on other podcasts you can just look up that name um and find out um you know what the enneagram is what his dealings are with it his research and all that kind of stuff because it is a big deal in the SBC, and our Lifeway books and stuff. If you look up Enneagram and Richard Rohr, you'll see his books available in many Christian Um, book websites Um, and so it's something that's getting ingrained and so you know um, we've had Don on the show to talk about the seriousness of um, knowing what Enneagram is um, how it's come like its origins and all that all that so that's that's already out there and so Dave um, got to spend time with Don um, again saying that um, they did uh, support him in going to be there so so now there's a uh, it wasn't a resolution like you said it's a motion
1: at first we were Actually, writing a resolution. But one of the things we came up with was the reality that a lot of Southern Baptists don't even know what the Enneagram is. Yeah. And of course, if you would have taken me back a year ago from this point, I have, we had one person, Jeremiah uh, Patterson, mm-hmm. who told us to look into the Enneagram. I'd done just a little bit of research, but not a ton. And uh, I knew that it wasn't, it had some questionable foundations, but I didn't really know a lot about it. Then last year, when I was fortunate enough to go to the um, the conference that I spoke at, sorry, told you I was going to be really polished, but of <laughs> nope. course I'm demonstrating that I'm not. Uh, it was Midwest Midwest Witnesses for Christ Conference um, down in Palme de Terre, Missouri. I spoke there at that conference and I ran into Don Vino. And Mm. Don Vino gave me a copy of his book about Richard Rohr and the Enneagram. The um, content of that book is outstanding. We've had a discussion about it on our podcast. So we began to write this resolution. Don assisted with that. Phil uh, Roberts worked on that. James Walker and I worked on that as well. And so the idea came, well, James Walker Hugh has a great um, past as an apologist. Specifically, he's the president of the Watchman Fellowship. And they've done a lot of research with the used to be the Home Mission Board, now the North American Mission Board. And so he made the motion on Tuesday morning, I make a motion requesting the North American Mission Board undertake a study of the Enneagram, exploring its spiritual and theological essence and teachings, and they report back to the annual meeting in 2022. That motion was seconded and accepted, and so next year at the annual meeting will actually be in Anaheim because there is going to be a report done by the North American Mission Board on the Enneagram. That'll be exciting, and that should um, give some folks some more information on it. Just like when the Southern Baptist made a similar motion in regard to, um, Freemasonry. And so hopefully we'll be able to take that and do something with it. And And hopefully,
0: yeah. yeah, And I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that because, uh, if you go even further back in the, uh, in the catalog, you know, I had a debate on Freemasonry and, uh, what happened in 93 was they did it. There's a, there's a lot of controversy. Around the mm-hmm. investigation and all that kind of stuff, and it ended up just ending in well, it's a matter of conscience, and so we really need to be aware of that. that That could be the conclusion of this study, and we need to pray right now because if you if you really pick up what's how the enneagram came along, like I, I asked Don about that, if if there is any sort of connection with Freemasonry and the enneagram, because to me it looks like geometry. And uh, when we're thinking about geometry and all those kind of things that Freemasons can get into, um, it looks like the same kind of stuff. Now you have just different people doing it with different ways. I mean, and that's just kind of the point is you've got incoherent particulars um, with nothing uniting them. At least that's what they want so that they can... uh, not be able to be argued against and uh, so so there there is kind of like a weird occultic um, thing going on between these two but anyway um, but yeah when it comes to this we need to make sure that um, you know it gets investigated and that we take a stand I think we need to take a stand against the Enneagram because uh, I think you don't need anything but scripture alone to tell you who you are and what you need to do Um, how to please God. Um, You can find out through the community of the church of what your gifts are. So if you're more of a hospitable person that has lots of things that you can include people in, then open up your home, those kind of things, you know, it's not that you identify as a hospitality person. It's that you are a, you are a adopted son or daughter of God through Jesus Christ. And he's given you this gift of hospitality to use to build the kingdom. You don't need to go and do these sort of uh, weird things to find out the will of God for your life whenever we have scripture.
1: And one of the things that we've seen, at least with the Enneagram, based upon the research that I've done, based upon the things that I've discussed with Don. And by the way, Don was just such a gracious host towards me. And James Walker, I had never met the guy, and he just welcomed me into a time of fellowship with him and and Don and Phil. We really enjoyed getting to visit with each other and be together, and so I was thankful for that. So just want to make sure I encourage all of our listeners and uh, to be sure to connect with Midwest Christian mm. Outreach. They've already written a response to this motion. Uh, they've put forward a nice assessment of the Southern Baptist Annual Meeting, mm. and so Don did a great job with that, and I really appreciated that. One of the things that Don noted was, wherever we see critical race theory, we also find the Enneagram. Mm. There's not some inherent connection other than their are two worldviews, they are two Essential ways to look at reality because, at its base, at its foundations, the Enneagram presents itself as a path to God. Yeah. That is very, very problematic and something that individuals who use the Enneagram should really look at. Because if you say, Hey, you know, I've really been blessed by the Enneagram, it's helped me understand these things. Look, I understand the intrigue with such a thing. My appeal would be look at its foundations, mm-hmm. look at where it's built, is that redeemable? Something with a faulty foundation is not in itself redeemable. But that doesn't mean that you can't go back and say, you know what, I was I was mistaken for using this. Yeah. Um, scripture alone should give us the insight that we need in order to understand how we can best be used by the kingdom. And that's something that I'm very serious about. And I yeah. I do think that people need to use their giftings. and They need to know how God can use them in the church. The Enneagram, however, is not the way to do that. And that would be a key thing for me. Yeah. And so there's how I got to the Southern Baptist annual yeah, meeting yeah. and one of the beginnings of why I went. And then from that, I was able to then tell the people on the Southern Baptist for the abolition of abortion that I was going to be there and that, I basically had the entire Southern Baptist annual meeting except for Tuesday at 11 to 12 to give them all the time that I could. And that's where things really got to be really cool for me. Mm -hmm. So my next motivation then began, okay, what can I do to help the Southern Baptists for the abolition of abortion? And from that, I learned that on Monday they would be at Founder's at the Founders' pre-Southern Baptist Annual Meeting Conference, and that they needed people to pass out copies of our resolution, that in fact there was money being collected to make sure that we had over 5,000. I think we ended up with more than that. I think we ended up with like somewhere around 6,000-plus copies of the Southern Baptist Resolution for the Abolition of Abortion. So on Monday, I spent from 7 a.m. until uh, whenever you and I began to talk just yeah. passing out copies of that. And then Free the States, that organization also donated uh, thousands of copies of their book, Am I an Abolitionist? So yeah. we were putting that in front of messengers right away. We were putting that in front of messengers. We were given a table at the Founders Conference. And so awesome. I love talking to people. So, I mean, I was passing out. I probably pass out. And I don't think I'm exaggerating. Somewhere around 300 to 500 copies of wow. the resolution. So that means just you had like Monday at least alone.
0: yeah, 500 conversations um, oh, you know, man. each one of those books represents. And so that's amazing that you're able to do that.
1: And it was cool. I ran into a bunch of my former students there, just at Founders alone. I ran into tons of my students, uh, former students. And that was really cool because many of my students I had not ever met face-to-face, yeah. and then I got to meet some of them for the first time face-to-face, which is really, really cool, um, and had good conversations with them, and encouraged them to vote for our resolution, encouraged them to take a look at that book, Am I an Abolitionist? And of course, I have a copy of that book for you, Adam, Yes, and a copy of that great piece. Maybe we can hang it up in the back because there's a really cool piece of artwork where it says Southern Baptists got slavery wrong. Oh, no. Will we yeah. get abortion wrong? It's yeah. such a cool graphic. I don't know that I had sent that to you. Actually, I know I did because you've got it the on graphic. The oh yeah. Video. I've got the graphic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So now
1: you've got, you're going to have a copy of those and we're happy to give out whatever copies uh, we have left. If you want to contact us, and you want a copy of, am I an abolitionist? Let me know. And, and I'll be happy to to get it to you. In fact, yeah. I'll mail it to you on my dime if you would like, because I think it's a great book and Free the States and specifically James Silberman and Sam Riley were just outstanding as a presence there that were not even Southern Baptists, but wanted to make sure that we got the ball rolling in abolitionism. And so that's why I was there and I was able to um, speak and ask a question of Kevin Azell of the North American Mission Board. I thought we had a really good interaction. I was a bit, um, uh, I did not specifically include this in my things leaving positives and negatives, but I did get to ask Kevin Azell if the Southern Baptist and if the the North American Mission Board did anything to train church planters and pastors regarding the abolition of abortion. And Dr. Azell was forthright. Uh, It took him a minute. I don't know that he understood the question you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm, that I extend grace. Yeah. I think when he, when I asked the question originally, it caught him off guard. And so as any good speaker you have in that type of Q and A, you've got a repository of questions that you've kind of prepared for. And so yeah. I think he began to kind of divert automatically into that response. And I wish, wish we could find that interaction because I would love to comment on it directly, but he kind of went into what I would say his prepared statements on how to deal with pro-life questions or abortion questions. Then I was able to get a follow-up. I said, "No, no, specifically, what information are you giving pastors directly in regard to the abolition of abortion?" And he was forthright and said, "Well, nothing. We have nothing that we're giving them, particularly in the abolition of abortion." Hmm. And so I said, for clarity. Do you think that abortion should be abolished? And he said directly and specifically, yes. And then I began to say, so in other words, what are you going to do then to help work for, and that's when our discussion was ended, and I believe prematurely. I don't want to, at the time I was a little frustrated that Dr. Greer seemed to cut off the conversation. I recognize they want to get as many questions in as they can. I think that it was, of course, I believe that it was prematurely cut off because I would have liked to have gotten somewhere and demonstrated that our church planters, if they're going into areas where there's a lot of diversity, we know that from the very inception of the Planned Parenthood organization, Margaret Margaret Sanger wanted to get uh, Planned Parenthood into places that were economically disadvantaged, and places where there were minorities. And so if you go to a place where Planned Parenthood is, you're going to find it in a minority area. Well, where are we specifically trying to get our churches planted? Yeah. In places of low, uh, low economic statuses and places of great diversity when it comes to demographics as far as racially and ethnicity so it would be imperative in my mind to make sure that the church planters that we're sending into those areas have the equipment i should say they should be equipped with yeah. the way to work for the abolition of abortion and so i think that that exposes a shortcoming within our church planting and something that i think should be addressed and i'm sorry we didn't get to have that discussion in a more um serious way and i i should and I should even report back to the podcast. I should reach out to Kevin Azell and say, hey, Southern Baptist passed this resolution to abolish abortion. I would love to visit with you about some ways that church planters could get some brief training or get some resources into their hands about yeah. how they could engage these mothers who are getting ready to murder their babies or some discussions they could have within those church planting organizations to prepare the churches." to minister to those families. Um,
0: Yeah. Especially, especially whenever you have end abortion now and you've got Jeff Durbin and they're like asking, Hey, if you guys are interested in this, you know, come to Phoenix or whatever, give us a call. We'll send you materials. Um, so we don't have to make a southern baptist entity to get this thing done there's it's already out there and we can show ourselves very ecumenical (laughs) you know yeah uh, reaching out of the sbc entities and not making a brand new one but utilizing something that's already been there that's uh solid especially for the abolition of abortion so there's you know there's wonderful things there just you know they're not getting tapped into and you know it can be because of branding you know which gets in the way
1: yeah and and i don't think that Many people are going to think back to that brief discussion with Dr. Rosell, and nobody's going to comment on it beyond you and me, most likely. But I actually think that it is significant, and I do think it's something that needs to be addressed. That's not just me because I was the one with the question. Actually, that was planned by our Southern Baptists for the Abolition of Abortion that is a North American Mission Board issue, yeah. and it's something that I think needs to be addressed, and I need to follow up and reach out to Dr. Azell individually yeah. and say something to him, whether it's through an email or a phone call. Um, it's something that I have a responsibility to do, and uh, it's a good reminder to me. But our main thing was yeah. I was going to talk about my greatest concern yeah. and my greatest um, forward-looking thing, and then I did have something that it. one advantage to doing the podcast today is... We get to see a little bit more of the fallout following the convention, and I wanted to offer some comments on that. So,
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's like, you know, now that we're talking about the uh, Southern Baptist for abolition of abortion, you know, I just kind of wanted to put this in here before we uh, continue on, because, like, this will get into your concerns and all that kind of stuff, too, which will end up being the encouragement, Um, but, you know, for my end, just watching things. Um, come down on Facebook and what people are commenting on and, and just what everybody put up in there. You know, I just wanted to let everybody know if you watch what happened at this uh, Southern Baptist annual meeting um, was literally the issue. So if you need a demonstration of what abolitionists are talking about, how we are, what we are decrying and uh, what the difference is between abolition and pro-life is the fact of what did the Southern Baptists do. Um, you had a you had a resolution for the abolition of abortion, and then you had a resolution on the Hyde Amendment. All right, so yes. Hyde Amendments pro life. You know, abolition is abolition, right? Um, and so, whenever they whenever the committee is presented with two resolutions, right, you've got abolition, you've got pro life. Which one did they pick? They picked the pro-life they didn't pick something to talk about let's end this stuff they said let's stave it off at an arbitrary line with the hyde amendment going on and so you know that that demonstrates what us as abolitionists are talking about right
1: and adam i think that there's a key piece too that you and i were kind of talking about as we prepared for this program and that was some of the wording in the resolution on the hyde amendment um One of the things that I want to state very clearly is, if the idea behind the Hyde Amendment is that taxpayer money is not going to go to support abortion, I recognize that we are saying we don't want our monies to be used to propagate or to be used to promote the murder of the unborn. That's an important thing. But here's one of the problems. Yeah. The government is just reallocating funds. Oh, yeah. It's almost, in my mind, a namesake piece.
0: Yeah, and this is what I was talking about with you, um, you know, I think maybe a week and a half ago, the the term line item Pharisee. You're only feeling good about it if the line item has a name saying, here's money, okay, this money goes toward, okay, we'll pay for um, breast exams, we'll pay for... This, you know, so this and that and this and that, but we're not going to pay for abortion. Whenever that money goes to the one organization, so the same electricity that runs through the whole building still run the machines. That's right. That kill things, right? And so the, you know, it's like I, I have a Medicare, whatever it is, you know, like I can't go to Planned Parenthood for abortion, but I can still go to Planned Parenthood for these other things. The money still goes to Planned Parenthood, keeps the lights on, keeps the abortionist paid. And again, and you're the only. It's like wearing a mask with mm-hmm. that line. You're only feeling like you're doing all right whenever you're not. Uh, whenever you're not abolishing abortion, you're just saying my funding won't go to fund abortion. And you're saying, "Well, I'm starving out." No, you're not. That's right. And you're still allowing the murder of babies. That's why. That's, that's- a, the 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 perfect, clear, sufficient definition of what we're talking about. This is why. Well, We cannot be pro-life anymore.
1: And one of the whereas said the Hyde Mm -hmm. Amendment has saved more than an estimated two million lives since its enactment and enjoys broad support from the American public. Here's the issue. I'd like for you to prove to me that it has saved two million lives. Yeah. I believe that that is an overpraise for it because guess what? The Hyde Amendment has still allowed the government to keep the doors of Planned Parenthood open It hasn't closed the doors.
0: Yeah. And so basically, even if our tax dollars aren't paying for the actual abortion, it's keeping them open. And then that allows them to find other people, other money from other places to get that same person that's wanting the abortion an abortion. So you're you're not, are you saving lives? And again, great question, Dave, right? Uh, Prove it. That's
1: right. Here's the other little piece on the discussion of Resolution 3, and some of you have seen the video on this, and it is very much worthwhile, and I'll briefly summarize it. In the discussion on Resolution 3 on taxpayer complicity in abortion and the Hyde Amendment, the last resolved reads this, that Southern Baptists should work through all available cultural and legislative means to end the moral scourge of abortion as we seek to love, care for, and minister to women who are victimized by the unjust abortion industry. So, one individual got up and said, I would like to amend this last resolve by saying, minister to and call women to repent. In brief, I don't have all of the transcript of what he said, but he was saying, We need to minister the gospel to these women who have committed abortions. Yeah, The issue was that was stated, well, we can't call them to repentance. That would be unloving to call them to repentance. If we're Great Commission Baptists, when we do not tell these women that they have committed murder and they need to pray for repentance because they have killed their babies— they didn't just remove a clump of cells. In fact, when you go to the abortion mills and stand there, those women knowingly go in. They know that they are killing a baby. They know that they are killing their child. So, what do we need to do? The gospel can only act, God's law can only act as a tutor if we hold people to that standard. By pretending that these women are not guilty of that, we we lessen our ability to minister the gospel to them. The Nashville statement itself calls those who are caught in the sin of homosexuality to repent. Yeah. When we do not call sin, sin, and do so lovingly and winsomely, we have now lessened the opportunity for the gospel to care.
0: Yeah. And so it all comes down to here is the, you know, the, the the big, the big thing is again, woman's not, the woman is a victim always, is the, the just white, the, the general uh, assumption of this whole thing. And so this is what we need to realize again is what is the garden? Did God let any of them off? Absolutely not. So again, Adam ate because of the woman. Right. Oh, wait, but then he blames God. The woman that you gave me, God, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Did Adam have everything already? And did he have somebody that he could have ran to going, she ate God. She ate. What do I do? I need you. No, he ate. He made the choice. So he's not a victim. He's not a victim of Eve. He's not a victim of God. And then Eve blames the serpent, acting like she's a victim of the serpent. So no matter what, even if there are other circumstances surrounding the woman getting an abortion, they might lessen it if there is compulsion, but still she made the choice unless if she was shackled up in handcuffs, duct taped together, brought to the abortion mill, if she walked there, she made a choice. And so there, you know, this is again, where we do have to do things legally. We can't do things lawlessly. We have to examine, we have to find witness testimony. We have to go before a judge and jury and go to trial. So I'm not just sitting here going like we go up and then grab our stones and just start stoning. No, we do what God has given us in the law to do judicially and then make the case and find out if there is any extra involvement that might lessen. Cause we do want to do uh, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, stripe for stripe. Again, there is a justness to these things. So there are degrees, but still, and, and that's not getting talked about the judicial method of this whole thing. But the thing is, is we have to be consistent with how God treats sin. And that's the matter of the law. And though there is the gospel, the gospel is only meaningful if there is the law. But this
1: resolution yeah. itself presents a fundamental issue yeah. within the secular pro-life industry and the way they talk about things. And we're going to get into this more when we actually do our program on the response that was offered by Southern Baptist ethicists and professors and One thing I do want to say is those who are Southern Baptists that have come up against the resolution, I don't want to diminish the fact that they do care for and do want abortion to be ended. I believe their approach is wrong. I believe that the way that they have gone about things for 50 years is wrong and it's not being consistent in the way it treats. And here's a definitional or here's a demonstration of that inconsistency. Ready? The first whereas. Whereas the Bible clearly and unequivocally affirms the sanctity of every human life made in God's image. Excellent. They are saying that unequivocally, there is sanctity of every human life. But when they go down in the final resolve, they are not treating the preborn as an actual person yeah. when they do not call the parent, the mother who murdered the child who is complicit in the murder, when they're not calling her to repentance, they're not being consistent. They're still treating the baby that was murdered as a clump of cells. Yeah, And I'm not saying that in a harsh or mean way. I'm saying that in an honest way. When we fail to call the mother to repentance, we've lessened the opportunity for God to forgive her and for her to acknowledge fully what she has done and seek repentance and reconciliation with God, but we've also created a category of difference within human life, stating that the unborn, we don't mention the unborn as a victim, and we're actually only prioritizing the woman as a victim. Certainly, circumstances are bad for many mothers, but she has a choice to submit to God's word and not kill her baby. And given the thousands of different ministries available to women by Christian organizations who would adopt their child, who could help the mother pay her bills, get baby clothes for the baby, care for the woman in a church and in a community. The fact that she is unequivocally turning her back on that and choosing to murder her baby to then draw her as a victim is very problematic. And when that discussion was put forward, it was shut down immediately saying you would be mean to call her to repentance. And that was actually the argument. You would be mean and unloving if you called the mother to repentance. No, it's the greatest thing that we could do.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And that's, that's the thing is like with everything, like, is it always mean? like, to call somebody to repentance, if it's mean there, is it mean everywhere else? Or are they saying that she didn't do wrong? I mean, that's that's the uh the absurdity of what you're seeing. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's just like again, the eleventh commandment of the SBC comes up into play. Thou shalt be nice, and you're adding to scripture. Um, you know, it's it's not nice. I don't think David found it nice when he was. Told in a parable form, <laughs> the story of him. Now, that's right. God was working on him, and he accepted it. I do, but I don't think it feels good. I don't think it feels good whenever you're told you're wrong.
1: No, that's and, a perfect uh, statement. And,
0: and the thing is, how we react. Um, in our reaction, we see our heart. Um, and when we're in community together, we're able to point that stuff out and go, "See how you reacted? You reacted like the sinner you are." But again, we are acting like there is no redemption. But there is, but you have to allow redemption to happen, and that can only be whenever you call people to repent and believe the gospel. But again, a gospel that presupposes the law, you lose the law, you lose the gospel.
1: That is correct. So let me get to my concerns. Yeah. So what are your concerns with this
0: abolition um, resolution?
1: So one thing I do want to state is, I loved our discussion with Doug and I actually had yeah. someone even tell me today at the end of church that they really loved that discussion. So I always want to make sure that was really good for us to be able to discuss things with Doug. And you know, one of the great things was some of my greatest concerns that there was going to be a knockdown drag out. Certainly there was some tension in the room. There was a lot of tension in the air. And so that brings me to my greatest concern. My greatest concern leaving the annual meeting was the failure of the convention to significantly address critical race theory
0: okay yeah so yeah we're not just talking about yeah i just wanted to leave it out because i said what is it it with the abolition thing so like (laughs) so this is the greatest concern about the convention and the whole okay then we'll come back and circle back i'm sorry i'm just making sure that we're not jen saki and circle back (laughs) (laughs) right sounds good (laughs)
1: So, but we'll really circle back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so my greatest concern really is that the Southern Baptist Convention, in my mind, failed to significantly offer a statement to renounce critical race theory. Now, hmm. according to my count, we had three significant opportunities to do that. One was in the form of a resolution that was rejected. Uh, the other one was in a form of the resolution that they put forward. And the other one was in a form of a motion that was denied. And so here is my idea. We know that the six seminary presidents and even the former president, J.D. Greer, offered a statement renouncing critical race theory. In fact, the Council of Seminary Presidents offered Mm -hmm. the following statement. In light of current conversations in the Southern Baptist Convention, we stand together on historic Baptist commendations condemnations of racism in any form, and we also declare the affirmation of critical race theory, intersectionality, and any version of critical race theory is incompatible with the Baptist faith and message. Mm. That is a simple statement. Yeah. Now, we also know that Tom Askell and Jared Longshore, as well as individuals like Owen Strand and... Anthony Allen of Hannibal LaGrange and a group of 1,300 Southern Baptist messengers offered a resolution that was renouncing critical race theory. That resolution did not make it to the floor. It was held out of the discussion, it was prevented from going forward. I believe that the resolutions committee made a serious error. When Dr. Moeller himself got up and gave his report, his seminary report, he made it very clear that everything that critical race theory touches, it's like acid, it eats through it and destroys it. Mm -hmm. But the Southern Baptist leaders who were on the platform and the resolutions committee obviously did not take those words to heart. In fact, one of the things that was probably the most discouraging to me was when James Merritt said, the world is watching. Well, my friends, the most important thing is that God is watching. Yeah, And we could have, as a convention, made a very concise statement that reflected the language of our Southern Baptist Seminary president's. It is simple, and I love what Jason Allen stated in his Baptist Press article on November thirtieth, that actually included the statement from these seminary presidents. He said, "We must be people who stubbornly fight against both racism and critical race theory, while fighting for racial reconciliation and the truth of Scripture." The issue is that in the re- in the resolution, and I believe it was resolution six. No, it was. Resolution <laughs> two. I
0: think you're, yeah, going two. back here. Yeah.
1: Resolution two. There were multiple places where they could have put in something regarding critical race theory. Specifically, one resolve said this that we reject any theory or worldview that finds its ultimate identity of human beings in ethnicity or any other group dynamic. They could have said right there that we reject. Critical race theory, intersectionality, or any theory or worldview.
0: Yes. Yeah, Doing a, that. No, it's like keeping we it vague. Had- yeah. And I mean, like in, in a way, you can kind of say, well, it does cover, but you have to be able to define critical race theory as a worldview, which people are really trying not to do and say they're analytical tools. That's where we left off with Resolution 9. They're analytical it's tools. Not- it's not a worldview. And so if you don't mention CRT, In this document, it doesn't do anything to Resolution 9 because it's not labeled and defined as a worldview. It's just analytical tools. So, then two last
1: pieces on this. I love what Adam Greenway said. Man, he just hit it right out of the ballpark. In these days of rampant confusion about biblical truth, Great Commission Baptists can take confidence that their seminaries are offering clarity and conviction. When it comes to racism and other worldviews antithetical to the Bible and the only gospel that can save, such as critical race theory and intersectionality. In other words, we're holding our seminary presidents to a standard that our messengers and our churches are not going to clearly state. Yeah. The clarity that those guys presented messengers don't need to worry about but wait a second the presidents of our seminaries are to represent the views of our people in the pews that is what the entire conservative resurgence was about and we undermined it and that's a problem for me and so my greatest concern is that when over 1300 messengers and six seminary presidents Cannot convince SBC leadership to offer a clear statement denouncing critical race theory. I'm extremely disappointed and discouraged because, to me, it demonstrates a lack of conviction. Yeah. Or a position of fear.
0: Yeah, and it's one of those things that you know, to you know, to attach it, you know, you've got people um, that are wanting to pander just to the secular political issue. And they don't want to take a stand on that, and it's the same thing with the pro-life issue because the pro-life right. is secular, and we, you know, we've we have, and we have to admit it, we have brought forth as a church in America anyway uh, the idea of a sacred and secular divide. Um, we have not said, well, yes, there is a separation from the church and state, or as I have said, um, the king can't be the priest and the priest can't be the king, but both mm. are under God. You can't separate the state from God if we're going to be consistent with what the scriptures teach if we're going to be sound in our doctrine um, and so we've set that up and so now we're seeing that you know well you know over here you know we, we see and I'm I'm glad that the lesser I guess are over I guess they're in in Baptist life I guess you really wouldn't call us a, a seminary president lesser Maybe in, in a certain way um, than a convention president, but you have these people standing up and saying, we are the teachers and we don't, we, this, we're, we're making a concise statement. Like, why can't our, why can't a, uh, a president of a convention go, okay, I get it. <laughs> you know, that's, but that shows you that there is a secular pandering that's going on because the world is watching and we're afraid of the backlash.
1: Yeah, and Adam, to me, James Merritt said two statements from the floor during that debate on that resolution, Resolution 2, that were problematic. He said, if some of you were as serious about the gospel as you are opposed to critical race theory, we could win the whole world. That's false. That's false. That's a false dichotomy and that's problematic to me. I wish, but here's the issue. It is a very serious matter when we are clouding our understanding of the gospel by throwing a framework on the gospel, that framework of critical race theory, which is counter to the gospel. Part of proclaiming the gospel is destroying worldviews, destroying arguments holding every thought captive to obedience to Christ. And that created a problem in my mind because it was an analogy and a fallacy by analogy from the floor that was not directly called out specifically. The yeah. next thing is when he said, again, the world is watching. The world is watching. Do we fear God or do we fear man? Yeah. I walk away disappointed that the Southern Baptist Convention cannot, in united voice, speak with clarity regarding critical race theory. That we were afraid, in my mind, in the views of many in leadership, that if the Southern Baptist offered a clear statement renouncing critical race theory, that we would then be labeled as a white supremacist group. And that the liberal and secular media would have given the microphones to a bunch of individuals who wanted to say how incredibly racist the Southern Baptist Convention was. Our goal is not to convince anyone that we're not racist. Our goal is to convince people of the truth of the gospel. And it is something that is important that we can say no worldviews that undermine the very nature of the gospel we oppose. And that was something that I feel, sadly, we didn't do. So let me move to what I was encouraged about. Because I like to reflect on good things, and I do think that praying about the convictions of the Southern Baptist Convention in regard to denouncing critical race theory is still a valuable thing. But let me move to what I was encouraged about, and that was the passage of the resolution to abolish abortion. Uh, It was problematic in my mind that the ERLC had an individual speak from the convention floor, and one seminary professor did against that. I'm not angry at those guys. I realize that they have been in the pro-life movement, probably at least one of them longer than I've been alive. And I want to say I'm grateful that they want abortion to end. I'm grateful that they want to protect human lives. I don't want to pretend like they're on a different team. One of the things that I think happens is we pretend like someone is on a different team and we create them to be the boogeyman within serious discussions that need to take place. Both of those guys are men of conviction. They love the life, the preborn. However, I think they're being inconsistent. And I want to respond by saying, you know, we offered, in fact, just yesterday, the Southern Baptist for the Abolition of Abortion did respond with an article, heavy-hitting SBC abortion Abolition Resolution authors respond to SBC academics, and I would encourage anyone to check that out and see how we responded to that. Um, those of us on the Resolution to Abolish Abortion, that was a co-written article, and it's really good, and it responds shot by shot to the article authored by uh, Dr. Burke, Dr. Branch, Dr. Walker, Steve Lemke, uh, Daniel Heimbrecht. Uh, Seaman Mitchell, Jeffrey Riley, and Richard Land. And we responded to those folks. And and I want to say this too. We did not expect the resolution to pass. We expected the resolution to, just as it did, not make it to the floor to get a hearing. Yeah. But it did yeah Which that was farther than we ever thought it would get. So cool. I mean, well over two-thirds of the messengers wanted to hear it. and here's the thing. I can attribute that to the reality that thousands of Southern Baptists had a copy of that resolution in their hands. yeah. thousands of Southern Baptists were given a small booklet on what it means to be an abolitionist and
0: and they want to end abortion that's right. right i mean simply you don't have to make it complicated end abortion criminalize abortion and you and you tell that really to a lot of people it does it doesn't really come up until you say that the person is you know not a victim but a perp- you know a, a, a perpetuator of murder, right? You know that's whenever you get the oh, I can't believe. Okay, you know, but whenever you just simply state the abolitionist position, we want to criminalize abortion, right? And then you get you give that to somebody and you just tell we just want to criminalize abortion. And most Baptist messengers, you know, we can say in good faith are going to say I am totally for that, right? So you don't have to be cynical <laughs> going into it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Amen. And and I just I, I'm so grateful. Yeah. Now here's one of the things that I want to notice. Right off the bat, this idea that the Southern Baptist ethicist again, good men, um, i yeah. want be. I don't want to mention one of them by name because I think it would be dishonest for me to do that, but we've had some really good interaction with one of the men that was an author of this, and one of the other guys has said he'd be willing to talk to us, and I know that he will. And so let me just state, none of these guys are evil guys, none of these guys are wicked guys. We have a different view of how to get to the end of abortion. That is a key piece. We have a different view of how to actually get over the goal line. And as you said at the Southern ba- at the Missouri Baptist Annual Meeting, you can split one inch. In half, I mean, yeah. infinity times.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, that was the uh, big thing. So you know, that was where I was thinking it was it would lead up doing the same thing. It would get gutted, um, you know, because I'm I'm thinking like, okay, you have a committee in Missouri, you know, it's a seemingly small timer, and uh, they looked at the resolution, they come back and like, oh man, they just gutted it. So I'm like, you get a big stage, you get it big time in the national convention. I'm like, they probably got you know. Bigger sharpshooter seminary types, you know, that have came out of seminary many moon ago, and they've already had the arguments and stuff, so they would be ready to even gut it even better, you know. Um, and so that didn't happen, <laughs> you didn't. know. Now, the one it did from little- the floor, but, it did, but that was from yeah. the floor. That wasn't from the committee. Well, so and
1: here's the thing: it's actually the 14th resolve where the yeah. phrase alone was added, and it actually reads now: resolve that we will not embrace an incremental approach alone yeah. to ending abortion because it challenges lordship over the heart and conscience and rejects a culture to repent of sinful of sin completely and immediately yeah. all right that does change the meaning of that resolve
0: that resolve but However, if you ever
1: yeah. when you look at the entire document it still stands fast because it was so well written yeah. and here's one of the things that actually in my mind it extends something it's a call to remind ourselves of we are grateful for the things that have been done to save lives. We are grateful to those who have worked, but what we're saying is they didn't do enough. Yeah. And actually, that puts us on the same framework as the pro-life people, because a consistent pro-life person would say, well, they haven't done enough. And we're like, of course they haven't. Yeah. Now, you can continue not doing enough or you can end it. Yeah. And that's where we diverge.
0: Yeah. And that's, and, you know, time. that's, and that's the, the, the big deal there. And um it just comes down to, we're looking at uh, the no eight covenant. You know, we've been talking about the no eight covenant. Is that a covenant? That's a pro-life covenant or is it a pro justice covenant? Yeah. And that's where, so that's where, covenant. again, the no eight covenant comes right into play is, is he wanting to preserve life? Well, yeah. But is that preserving life by what justice?
1: That's right. And
0: so, to be ultimately pro-life is to ultimately pro be pro justice, which is the character of God. God, that's right. So well, there's a lot. Here's yeah.
1: the interesting inconsistency that occurred there at the uh, at the entire convention. There was a great resolution talking about the Uyghur genocide. Um, very very. Powerful resolution. And guess what? We didn't even discuss it. It was Resolution 8 on the Uyghur genocide. And that was a key piece. And if you look at it, there is some things uh, in that resolution that is really important. It decries the Uyghur genocide, it decries it, and it says uh, that we need to abolish that right now in fact it states we need to and i'll read it here the inconsistency of course of decrying the immediate abolition of abortion uh, was seen in the uyghur genocide resolution because it did not say we need to work towards in fact the specific language calls the ccp to cease its program of genocide against the uyghur people immediately, and put an end to this action. Inconsistency. If we're really incrementalist, are we saying that the lives of the unborn is somehow less than that of the Uyghurs who are being killed? Yeah. This is an important inconsistency that needs to be addressed.
0: Yeah, and it's the same thing, you know, there was an inconsistency in the Missouri Baptist uh, Convention where we gutted this abolition thing but then we said hey we'll we'll vote in uh, not using any products or anything that utilizes you know we'll 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 go for that resolution to not use products that utilizes anything from uh, aborted fe- you know fetuses murdered babies so we'll we'll vote that in we'll say yeah 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 but then over here it's like well you know we're not going to abolish abortion you know so it's we we're not going to use these for medications and and for products but you know we'll still allow them to allow people to abort babies, you know, and to, to murder babies. So that's, you know, like no matter what, there's always going to be some inconsistency whenever we're making resolutions about certain things like this. And so here again, the inconsistency pops up. Are we going to uh, call for the immediate end of genocide for these people over here, but not for these people over here?
1: That's right. Well, and then again, you have this dichotomy. When you don't call for the immediate end of slaughter for people groups as a whole, you've created a non-biblical category. All that resolution did was demonstrate that if we say we believe that life begins at conception and that all life is sacred, then why can we not consistently say, stop it immediately? Yeah, and we are going to work for red legislation that stops it immediately. Yeah. Now, again, some of the things that they've been saying is, uh, "Oh, well, it doesn't cover those with ectopic pregnancies." Actually, an ectopic triage is not an abortion, and you don't have to go to an abortion mill to have the baby whose development was stunted.
0: Yeah, that's actually no- yeah, that's actually done in a hospital. Yeah, and the, and the thing an is, is like, and it's one of those cool things is as uh, as science that God has given us, the scientific method, um, we can actually uh, be more pro-life by going, how can we get that from the fallopian tube safely to where it can grow? Because it is fertilized, right? Um, how can we get that from here where it shouldn't be to where it needs to be so that we can f- fulfill the the cultural mandate to be fruitful to be <laughs> to multiply and uh we can use science to be pro life to be for life you know so like why are we fighting against that why isn't that not a good thing well uh, you and know so it's so understandable things- right now that we don't have we might not have the uh the tools and the concepts and all that stuff right now to save you know a fallopian tube um, implantation but we can and We can be excited about it instead of That's you know right. trying to trying to find out ways instead of looking at it like, well, when can I get rid of something versus when can we actually continue to promote life even better with science well and Adam
1: here is uh, I want to get into this further in another show,
0: yeah, Oh, yeah, we can, because we can go I had like hours prepared I yeah. had
1: prepared a piece, well let me put it like this. Um, Bill Askell had appealed to the resolutions committee to say, why can we not get the 12 men who signed this and submitted it with me up on the stage to work as the resolutions committee for this resolution? Because they were the submitters, they can respond to components and they can be presented to the Southern Baptist. We were not given an opportunity to do that, which would have been really fair, actually, because it was the only resolution to come out of, out of uh, to be called out of the committee. And it's like the first time in like 70 years that that has happened, right? It's not completely unprecedented, but it's very rare that that occurs. So he yeah. said, well, let's get our committee, let's get our resolutions authors up here on the stage. We didn't get that. So what happened was we got together after the morning session for the lunch break and for an hour and a half, and I'm not exaggerating. We prayed. Every single one of us in that group prayed. We had written speeches, and our plan was to get to the mics so we could address anything directly. And one of the things that I had told everyone, and I meant it, was don't be diverted by the arguments against it. Put forward the positive arguments for it. And we were ready. Uh, I think that we were three deep at every single mic (laughs) with people. And so it was very, very cool in that. And guess what? The cool thing is there were individuals who weren't even associated with our group that were actually speaking in favor of the resolution. And we didn't even have contacts with some of those people, which was even neater. Uh, One of the young ladies who spoke to the resolution, we had never met her. She was not Mm. involved with our group at all. Now, the piece that I had prepared which is a piece that I want to speak on in the future is we need to be ready in my mind to demonstrate a difference or demonstrate the inconsistency that the ERLC and other Southern Baptists would have if tomorrow a bill was written and signed into law or a courtroom decision that people could euthanize their unwanted relatives. Yeah, We would not be Incrementalist in opposing that, mm-hmm. we would say, no, this is evil. We encourage states to reject this evil decision. Yeah. If we were incremental, I sat in the handicap section. Almost everyone in my section would have been essentially or could have been essentially deemed unworthy of life. Mm-hmm. I fear an SBC that would only fight for inc- an incrementalist approach. To euthanasia. I fear that for the life and sacred, the sacred life of everyone who might be deemed unworthy by their family or society. Yeah. Incrementalism will be rejected by Southern Baptist. I hope in such a place.
0: Yeah. And I hope that they Why realize that, yeah, what's the consistent? standard there? And you just put it there. Society becomes the standard bearer and not God. And that's the difference. Who's the, where, where's the standard and who do we go to? Do we go to the state definitions? Are we, are we going to the state going, please let this be the definition of reality or are nah. the facts already settled? That's the and difference.
1: I'm, and we'll hit that a little bit yeah. more, I'm sure. Yeah. But in summary, oh man, I completely yeah, the, the, I mean, forgot oh no, about we're, the fallout piece. Oh yeah. Yeah. We so can get sorry. there, but yeah, yeah. I just, uh, before.
0: Yeah. Before we move on to this next piece here that you mentioned, you know, I just wanted to just give people a little hope here. So the word alone in is in there and it looks inconsistent, but here's the deal. Um, you get to the final resolve. It makes you repent of that anyway. And the cool thing is, is if we're going to repent of incrementalism as the 18th resolved, um, asks us to, then what happened at the convention should not happen to where if there is say a heartbeat bill and an abolitionist bill, if you follow this resolution and you go, I have to do this, then you're going to end up supporting the abolition bill and not the heartbeat bill. Actually ending or criminalizing abortion over the, over against making a partition and allowing a certain amount of Im- image bearers to be murdered at the hands of the state. That's so right. So just to let you know, even if that alone is in there, it, the ending thing here says you're to repent of that. And to use the full weight, especially of legislators, to use the full the full weight of their office to criminalize abortion. So again, what, what, what happened at the SBC annual meeting here where they took the Hyde Amendment over the abolition resolution, this would force them to take the abolition resolution over the Hyde Amendment resolution. So there's right. still encouragement here, even if the alone is in there it's not that bad. And I'm glad that, you know, I think you told me over the phone that bill heard that and said, that doesn't do anything to us. Let's go for it. <laughs> you know? And so, you yeah, know, that's why, uh, you know, they, that instead of being just a uh, stubborn about it, saying, Nope, Nope. You added one word. We're, we don't want you to do anything about it. You know, we're done. You no, know, they, they conceded and said, okay, go for it. And you know, we can, we can leave encouraged by that. Yeah.
1: Um, I'm just so grateful. And let me just put this, here's a major encouragement man, the humility of bill Askell and of dusty Devers and of Brett, um, those guys and, and John speed. And I always mess up Brett's last name, Barrett. I think, <laughs> um, he, those guys were so gracious to let me come on at, at the last minute, uh, clay hall, yeah. you know, here's another guy. And, um, There were other pastors in those videos. Man, those guys. It's uh, Brett Baggett. Brett Baggett. I always mess it up. Like the bread. Brett. Sorry, Brett, (laughs) if you listen to this. Man, those guys, you know, they welcomed me in and they let me serve beside them. And they were so gracious to put my name on that, you know, and uh, that was cool. I'm encouraged to know that there are pastors who will stand for truth. And not mudsling back at people, but demonstrate a humility towards Christ. And, and I couldn't have been more excited to be associated with a group of pastors. All right.
0: Yeah. So, so Fallout. CRT
1: not addressed like we wanted, uh, but the resolution to abolish abortion worked. So, our next piece is to make sure we do it at the Missouri Baptist Annual meeting. And Adam and I will be working on that for yeah. sure.
0: Yeah. So, so, Fallout, Fallout, Fallout. What's yeah, the Fallout, so, dude? Let me
1: state this. Um, I was. Least uh, excited about Ed Litton to be president, Mm. Um, being disclosing, I did not vote for him in either of the times. But I don't want to attack him in his character and who he is uh, without knowing much about him. Uh, What I have seen happen, and I'm disappointed as a Southern Baptist, is the attacks that have gone on towards Litton, calling him a plagiarism person. I think that there are much more important issues that we should be addressing, rather than did he borrow from J.D. Greer's sermon. And as it appears, he did. And so I read three articles. One was on the religionnews.com, new SBC president Ed Litton apologizes for using J.D. Greer sermon quotes. Uh, then the capstone report, is Ed Litton a thief? And then the capstone report, breaking Ed Litton church removes damning video at center of plagiarism. Okay. Here is what I would say. Number one, pastors do use other people's material all the time. Recognize that. I try to do everything I can not to, but I I have frequently looked at the way that MacArthur has outlined a text and thought, man, that's really good. That'll help my people remember it. But I'm not copying his sermon, right? Yeah. When you're reading multiple commentaries, you're even seeing, how did these guys break this down? Hey, there might be something really good here. I mean, on our program, we've organized things in a way at times that, like we said, well, Frame says this and this, or Grudem says this and this. We're constantly doing that. Now, I would say, certainly, you need to be really cautious with that. And when I do that, by the way, I say, man, I love the way that MacArthur organized this. I'm looking at this in the way that he lined it out, or. I looked at it and broke it up but man he said it so much better than I could hear and the way that this was organized. I don't think that any pastor would tell you that they don't use at least someone else's thoughts on a text to at least understand or communicate it. Now most of the times I'm going to try to put things in the my words or I'm going to leave the text on leave the commentary on the shelf after I've gone through it and looked at the notes, right? But I think that our time is poorly spent as Southern Baptists when we're going to attack Ed Litton because there are much more serious things. And the serious thing is when they say that God whispered about homosexuality. Yeah. That is false. That's the problem. The problem to me isn't that he borrowed J.D. Greer stuff. Like, obviously, he should have said, man, Greer, when I listened to his sermon, he really broke this down well. And I, and I want to look at it through some of the ways that he does that, but I'm going to expand on his thoughts.
0: Does that make sense? Oh yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, if you think about me, I've read so much Cornelius Van Til and, and Bonson and whenever I'm in conversation, I'm not sitting there going, well, Bonson said all the time, or I, I try to, but sometimes, you know, so we need to approach each other in good faith. Now I know that there are issues and I have expressed an issue um, just with the fact of his church's website actually used partialism and i and what i yeah. wanted to do and i i wasn't necessarily attacking to attack but i just wanted to go like this isn't anything new remember back in 19 the 1960s we did yep. have herschel hobbs and if you <laughs> read his book. book yeah if you read his book what Baptists believe um he's like i don't want to believe that he's a modalist but that he b- does use modalism he says that god is one person and three manifestations and we do have to you know we don't have to we we don't have to go on the attack at first but we do need to raise our voices like wait a second here especially if you are a president you know that's why you know whenever i talk to people i've talked to people in the past about herschel hobbs and and understanding that he was such placed in such a high esteem i'm sitting here going like uh, wait a minute here. And then I'm, I'm getting told that I'm attacking and I'm sitting here just going like, I'm just pointing out something now. Is there anywhere else? And so what we need to do is be asking, well, is there anywhere else that he said it right? That's right. Um, what, and then what was the issue? So here's, here's the deal. We don't do anything lawlessly. We don't immediately pick up stones and throw them. We need to just make sure. And, And so luckily what has happened, I hope it's out of repentance, I wish something maybe could be more blatantly said, hey, we got it wrong here. Here's maybe a reason why. Um, but they did change the church website well, to the have actual nice better. For them to
1: have, yeah, and yeah. it's easy to be an armchair quarterback. I yeah. recognize that yeah. while I'm sitting in the But I armchair. mean,
0: it, it is a big issue. The Trinity is a, it is a gospel issue. issue. Well, so, and I
1: think there's an opportunity to say, you know what? We made an error on the website. We should have seen this. There are many of us who should have seen this. And we failed to. We appreciate the opportunity to fix it. Now, here's what we want to do. We want to say, as Southern Baptists, we have clarity on the doctrine of the Trinity. And it's important that all of our churches have clarity. We apologize for any way this might have misled people. But here's a good reminder. Your faith statement on your website makes, makes is a good piece. Likewise, make sure that it's doctrinally sound. Have some other people look at it who are maybe outside of your church so errors like this don't happen because we don't want to miscommunicate that. Here's a good reminder Southern Baptists need to have a robust understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity. Here are some great Southern Baptist resources, such as Matthew Barrett's Church, a book on the Trinity, right? Here's an opportunity to put that out in, in a good way. And I feel like as a communication, scholar, when you make an error, you get an opportunity to own that error and to rebuild your image. Image repair is important. Image repair is biblical, by the way. Yeah. So when you fail, you acknowledge it, and there's multiple things that you can do. But one thing is own your mistake, correct your mistake, and make it public that you corrected your mistake. And here's one of these issues. Dr. Litton, number one, did say some things, and I like what he said, and this is from the religiousnews.com. He says, as any pastor who preaches regularly knows, we often rely on scholars and fellow pastors to help us think and communicate more clearly with the goal of faithfully preaching the truths of scripture to our congregation. I'm glad that he said that. I am glad that he owned this mistake, but one nice thing he could have done, again, just to go the next step when it comes to image repair is, number one, we're always repairing our image because we always make mistakes, but to say, this is a reminder, pastors who are out there like me, who fill the pulpit regularly, make sure that when you are using other people's material, that you're noting that it's not bad for you to do that. In fact, I encourage all of you, listen to other great Southern Baptist pastors, cite from them, use the source resources that we've given you as B&H Publishing, but make sure that you're letting people know where you got that so they can even go and look themselves. It was really strange for a lot of people when I came to First Baptist that I would quote from commentators from behind the pulpit. That's something that I grew up hearing. That's something that I grew up, you were looking at what someone else said and letting people know. You know, I looked what I looked at what Matthew Henry said about this. There's a, a great, easy one, right? I looked at what Sproul said about this. Own that it's good that our pastors are doing robust study. And I'm grateful that Greer, you know, preached on this and it really helped me. While I think personally that Greer is wrong here, and I would have yeah. gone somewhere else at least being really public. You know, uh, Greer has these, great, he preaches some great stuff. Well, listen to the things that he say, and make sure that you're letting people know where you did some of your studies so they can go themselves. And, and that's one of the pieces. And again, I think that there was some really serious mishandling of this. Number one, that they removed, basically set private 143 videos as of 9 a.m. Saturday, January 26th. Man, I don't know why they did that. That just makes you look bad. And so I would appeal to each Baptist pastor and each person listening to this, when you make an error, don't try to cover it up. Oh, man, I spent my time wrong here. My energies were misplaced here. Do that in your personal lives with your family. Do that in your friendships. Uh, Do that as a pastoral leader. And here's where it goes full circle. Southern Baptist mishandled CRT. Mm -hmm. Southern Baptists have mishandled the pro-life movement for a long time. We mishandled slavery. We owned that. Mm -hmm. Why can we not do that with CRT? And why can we not do that with abortion? Mm -hmm. All of those ethicists now have a statement from Southern Baptists, a well-informed statement, It was available to them for over a year, by the way, and available to many people at the annual meeting to look at. And those people who were educated voted for that resolution. Now, I would encourage our ethicists to say, okay, this is where you are. We are for the abolition of abortion. We need to stop it immediately. We've failed in the past to call that what it was. We cannot do that any longer.
0: Yeah, and we, uh, you know, failed to call road versus Wade, road versus Ray Wade what it really was too. I mean, and there's a couple of things there, you know. Um, and we then, submitted to yeah.
1: to road yeah. versus Wade. And we yeah. should be submitting to God's law. And
0: we should be out there, you know. Christians should be out there, you know, on that issue. Like, no, that's not the truth. And we should be about the truth and telling people the truth and going, it's not law, and that's not how the system works. And we could have schooled people on like we could we could have schooled the government on what it's supposed to be doing as the people. And then we'd be totally within every bit of the rights that are given to us under the constitution. And we could have done things legally and, and, and done that. And we would have been able to be the truth and the world is watching. The world is watching. And that's right. (laughs) You know, and we're not doing that in that sense, out of a fear of man, we're, we're doing it out of the sense of the fear of God um, and putting government in the right place and being in our right place as people pleading i um, going, that's not right, you know, but we didn't do that. We played the other game of fear in front of people and 47, 48, whatever, 49 years later here we are, um, talking about that. And, you know, and then now we've got, you know, with critical race theory and all that kind of stuff, you know, my only, the next thing would be with, with Ed Litton is just being able to be on MSB or MSNBC or whatever. And just, you know, given just a seminary or not seminary, but a convention president type vague, uh, hope. And, you know, I, I, where he had, I think whenever you're, whenever you're on TV like that, with that much of a following, you've got an ample opportunity. Um, the world is watching and you can give them the truth of God on these kind of things and not just platitudes about racial reconciliation, but you can stand there and be like, well, the thing is we, we as a people have adopted horrible categories and we've, we've identified with these horrible categories that do not exist. And the gospel is, is these categories do not exist and we just need to not accept them anymore. And we can we can find our identity in Christ, you know. That's instead right. of sitting there and pandering and saying, "Well, you know, I understand that you like this category," um, and not telling them that's a bad category, and you you're not, you know, they aren't the only ones shoving you in the category. You're holding on to that category, and it's a false category, especially when it comes to identity. So, you know, but unfortunately that that didn't happen. But you know what we can do is we can continue to pray. We got two years with the guy. Um, it's happening. We can't do anything about it other than pray, call him out where he needs to be called out, encourage him where he need where it needs to be encouraged. And, uh, you know, the world is watching and are we going to operate out of fear? Or are we going to operate out of fearing God? So.
1: Yeah, right on. And so I'm hopeful about the direction of the Southern Baptist yeah. convention. I have a responsibility. Number one, I need to follow up with Kevin Azale. I, actually have been even convicted, you know, I need to write a letter to Dr. Litton, and I need to pray for him, Uh, but likewise, I need to continue to pray for the end of abortion, and Adam and I, as well well as other Missouri Baptist pastors, have a responsibility to put forward another resolution calling for the immediate abolishment of abortion without exception or compromise.
0: Amen. Amen to that. Well, Dave, I think you, uh, you know, just, uh, taking the time and I'm glad we finally oh, got brother, back thank together. You. I
1: think this is it's much a, better. Than no, no, no. It's cold a call while driving. Down oh yeah. The road.
0: Oh yeah. And that, you know, we got to do this on a Sunday afternoon, the Lord's day. Um, even though every day is owned by him, but this is the day he's given us for rest. Um, and that, uh, we still have that in America. That's eroding but you know while there's a window rest <laughs> that's right so you know so it's wonderful to get together with you today um and so you know i get to be again we get to meet in person again tomorrow lord willing um and do some yes. more shows but i'm glad to finally get this out so again um everybody that listens to the podcast sorry that it did not come out as we said it would like last tuesday or wednesday or whatever um just things just kept on popping up and it was just a busy busy week here But again. Um, thing all things work according to god's plan for those who he who he loves and everything so we we understand that you know the roadblocks were in a way for a reason and we get to come back together on a on a wonderful lord's day and discuss these things get it out anyway and uh you know it's another day and uh new mercies tomorrow so you know it's it's wonderful so but yeah i think uh we we've definitely spent an hour and 20 minutes of of everybody's time, and we're going to give people more content uh, coming up anyway. So I think we should call it, and we'll deal with some of these uh, with I, I think we got Josh and Brandon coming on soon to discuss yes. more on the abolition issues and stuff like that. But you know we're not one issue ponies, so we'll bring more to the table uh, in the coming weeks. That's
1: right, that's right. Well, thanks a lot, Adam. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. Always want to encourage you to subscribe on YouTube, like us on Facebook give us good reviews on both Facebook. Cause you guys I think you could review us on Facebook, yeah. but you can review us on our podcast. So make sure you do that. We really appreciate that and share, share, share.
0: Yeah. And it's one of those things we need you guys that actually uh, care and like our stuff, get on YouTube and hit that thumbs up button on videos and, and like, give us like thumbs up because uh, you know, we have definitely be, been under attack Um, With some issues uh, here in town with like, especially the the venues, I'll just call it out by name. Um, There's a lot of uh, thumbs down stuff, but our message needs to come out and it comes out whenever people like things. So we're not, again, wanting to be liked by the world to be liked by the world, but likes do get the message out um, better. So if you guys, uh, if you're on YouTube or whatever, you know, if you like an episode and uh, individually just help us out there that's all we're asking for we're not asking for your money and things like that um and uh so if you could just uh, help us out get this uh these messages across and um just join us on the live uh cast and and uh talk with us and interact with us on there and uh you know we can uh continue to do these things to the glory of god that's right so, but yeah with that said uh this is the tagger podcast i'm ray ray and i am dave and soli deo and gloria